0: Thanks for joining us for another message from Southland Church. If you'd like any information about our church, check out our website at mysouthland.com. There we go, cruise ship to battleship. There we go, sheep in the midst of wolves, and I'll get to that in a, a little bit later in the message. To start, we're gonna look at that cruise ship to battleship, and the first thing that I wanna say is we need to change a bit of our mindset uh, towards church. So there's a bit of a shift in thinking again, and we have talked about this already this past year. Uh, we did that series on the church, I believe it was this last year, maybe it was actually the year before. I, I'm not sure, but you remember we did a series on the church, and, and there we talked about the church isn't a what? Building. Yes, thank you. It's not a building. Who is the church? We are the church. Can, can we all say that together? We are the church. All right, amen. So you guys are tracking with me, I love that. So uh, we already talked about that, and that, that understanding, we are the church, the church is people, right? Ecclesia gathered, it's, it's the gathered body, it's people gathered together to glorify God. That is really what the church is, and that's what the church means, Ecclesia. So there's local Ecclesia, and there is universal Ecclesia, right? We're all part of the, the universal body of Christ, and then we're also part of a local body of believers, and that is for us here at Southland. All right, so that's, a, that's an important understanding right at the beginning, which will already help us kind of put this in the right framework for moving forward because we understand that it's not just a place where we go to, it's not just a building, even though we still say, you know, when I left uh, this morning, it was accurate for me to say what? I'm on my way to church, <laughs> right? Now, I meant I'm actually on the way to the building, uh, but, <laughs> but if I would go by the actual definition, I'm on my way to the gathering. Uh, that would have actually encapsulated it right, and I still could have said, that, said the same thing. Um, but I think we get tripped up a little bit, though, and and I'll I'll explain what I mean when we think about the gathered church versus the scattered church, and that's really what I want to focus the the first chunk on because we need to understand the differences between the gathered and the scattered, and and the roles in those two, because I I think that really plays into how we're going to move forward as a church and us kind of understanding our our job or role within that. So we are still members of the church whether we're together or apart. So that's the first part you have to understand. So the gathered church is when we're gathered. Ecclesia, that's the actual definition. But we are still members of that church even when we're not gathered. That's what we mean by the scattered church. It it doesn't mean the church is being scattered in a bad way. It just means when the church members that come together and are the ecclesia, when they go out of the gathering, they are still members of the same body. Right? Paul uses that body analogy and terminology often in his writings uh, when talking about the church. We're all members and individually uh, members of the same body. They'll have different functions and gifts, uh, but we're individually members of each other, it says. So that's an important thing for us to understand. So the first thing to understand with the gathered and scattered is that we have the same mission. It's the same mission, So I just want to make sure we're all kind of moving forward on the same page here. And what is our mission statement here at Southland? It is to what? Love God, love people, be discipled, make disciples. Now I know in the Great Commission you don't see uh, the be discipled, but the being discipled is an important part because we are always growing and learning as we are going out and discipling others. And that's really what that's all about. But whether we are gathered together... I mean, the gathering here, that is what we're trying to do. We're trying to do that. We're trying to love God. We're trying to glorify Him, exalt His name together. Yes, absolutely. We also want to be loving each other. Absolutely, yes. You know, we're coming here to grow, right? To grow in our understanding, to grow in our faith. That's the being discipled. And then ultimately we're wanting to make disciples here at the church. That is the gathered uh, church, uh, 100%. But we have to embrace this idea that that's not just what we do here. That's what we do when we scatter as well. That doesn't change. So church isn't something that I do once a week. It's not something I just go to and now I go engage in my life. Church, right, church life, the mission remains the same regardless of where I am whether I'm here in the building or whether I'm at home or whether I go to work, the mission remains the same. Now, there are some slight differences, absolutely yes, and we'll talk about that and much more going forward throughout the year uh, because I really feel like this is a calling for our church is to be the church, not just in the walls of this building, but also being the church out there in our community. And I think that's very important. So uh, one of the common problems that we have in the Western church, and by the way, I'll, I'll say common problem or incomplete, pieces of incomplete understanding maybe is a better way to, of putting it uh, because it's not a problem in and of itself. It's only a problem if we're, we limit our understanding to church as only this one thing. So we see church as a building. So it's something that I go to. And because I go to it, right, if I'm walking to something and I go into the building, then it's also something that I leave and I go back to my own house, right? Do you see the problem with that already with the way that we think of church? Because then the things that I do at church, I do when I'm in the building, but I'm not necessarily thinking that I am the church when I leave the building. But, all right, we'll we'll just kind of go forward with, with the issue at hand. You know, we go to the church, we go to the building there, we worship, we learn, those are all good things, we pray together, we see each other, we support each other, right? We cry together, we laugh together sometimes, like with Chris and Kyle's show, lots to laugh at there. Um, I don't know if we're laughing with them or at them, but we're doing it together anyways. (laughs) It's a little bit of both, right? I mean, this is what we're doing. So this is, you know, and, and we think about what the purpose of the church is, like the church building, it should always be open right? We want, I mean, we come here and we enjoy learning about God and we enjoy, you know, worshipping together. We have these moments with him where he touches our hearts and it's amazing. I had one again this morning and he was bringing me, I'm diving into my Bible and he's speaking to me out of the word and then I'm back into worship and then I'm praying and I know many of you are, are experiencing the same thing. It's a wonderful thing and so we think this building always needs to be open so that other people in the world that are lost, you know, that they can always know where to come, that this could be like a beacon, like a lighthouse, that lost people can come to and they can experience the same Jesus that we know and love. And this is probably what leads to, you know, a lot of the, the, the reasons that we were so upset. Or many, many of you have been so upset about even the restrictions. Right? And the church being shut down because the building gets shut down. And the idea is, where will people go? Where will they go to experience this God that so radically is transforming our hearts where will they go to find that? you know, 1 Corinthians 14, 24 talks about unbelievers coming into our midst <laughs> and why we need to guard what kind of conduct we have in here so that they don't come in and think we're out of our minds. But, but anyhow, it talks about that. So we know that there is, a, there is a truth in this, that the gathering of believers, there's an openness that needs to be there so unbelievers can come in and we can be a light. But I'd like to challenge us that that's maybe a, a, a come-therefore model, and I totally made up that phrase taking it right out of the uh, go therefore in the Great Commission, right? Because the Great Commission says, go therefore and make disciples. And I think, you know, we often look at church as a come therefore model. Leave the church open so that if people want to come, they can come. Now, obviously I'm not against that, and I'll get onto that in just a moment, but this is, I think, a big reason why we're upset with, with a lot of the restrictions. It's, yes, we want to gather together because this is amazing. I mean, when you're sitting here, the, the worship here, I'm sorry to those online, and I, God bless you, and I love it that you can join online, but it's different. Like, it's different. There is something, when you're in the house together with other people and other families, there is something amazing about that, and that's why I'm looking forward to heaven, to seeing, you know, people of God that outnumber the, the sand on the shore. <laughs> We're going to have some incredible times of just exalting the name of the Lord together. We're going to do that for all eternity, and I, I can't actually, I can't wait. All right, but Think about this. If all we do, if we think of church as only a come therefore, remember I didn't say it's not that. I'm just saying if we only think of it as a come therefore model, then we can understand why we're so upset when the church building gets shut down. The problem is though, even when we're open, we're only open for what? Like we're, I'm going to preach one message. We're here for about an hour and a half. We're going to do two messages, three hours out of over 160 hours in the week. So I, I didn't actually figure out the numbers, but what is that, 5% of the week? So you can see the come-therefore model for church, for, for fulfilling the Great Commission and the Great Command, is very limited, even by percentages when you look at time. That's the gathered church model. Now, I'm not saying it's bad. I love the gathering. Like I, I'll get on that. I'm not saying it's bad, but I'm just talking about the differences. Because it's important that we see the differences and we understand that we are the church, and we are the church whether we gather or whether we scatter. And this is a big reason, when I, when I look at this, why you know I don't love restrictions, but I, I haven't loved it. Who, who has loved restrictions? Nobody loves having their freedoms taken away, whether you agree with them or not. Nobody loves that. It's not a good feeling. Um, but the truth is, I haven't been totally bothered and worried that the Holy Spirit can't work and people can't be, can't be, can't be saved because they really only shut down the 5%. They've never shut down the 95%. And that's the scattered church. Look at this, though. Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Go therefore, right? Go therefore and make disciples of the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And then the best, 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 best part. And behold, I am with you always forever to the end of the age. Look at that promise. Look at the charge and then the promise. I can't tell you how many times I get choked up with that promise. You go through hard times, you go through difficult times, you go through good times, and to realize that he cares about every aspect of our lives, and he is for us, and he is with us always to the end of the age. I just <laughs> have a hard time thinking anything could be better. All right, but this, though, is why I have not been totally thrown off by the restrictions. How I love them? No, but I'm not thrown off, because I don't think the church has been shut down. We can still go therefore and make disciples of the nations. We can still fulfill great commission and great command. And that's the 95%. So I think that's very important for us to understand. Scattered church is the go therefore model. So that's, that's a very important thing. Now, I'll give you a picture that'll help us understand this. And I hope it, uh, it helps you. And if you're a farmer here, I might get some of the uh, details wrong. <laughs> I'm not a farmer. Although my father-in-law is, so that gives me some credibility, maybe street cred. Okay. Anyways, in fall, I go hunting in uh, Drew and I love it. I absolutely love it out there. Like something, it's God's country, which technically everything is. I know I get that. But you get there in fall and the fields start turning yellow and the leaves start changing colors and I can smell it in the air and it's almost hunting season. And that is by far my happy place. You go and hide out there and there is, there is no sin, death, or decay, restrictions. There's nothing out there. There's just you and, and creation. And it is a, thing of beauty. That's not what we're talking about though. So back to the fields, the fields are ripening, the harvest is ready, right? And then the combines come out and they begin combining and they begin taking in the harvest. That's what happens, right? Okay, so that's, I want you to be thinking about this analogy. Now, imagine, I mean, these combines usually sit where? Well, some of them sit in, a, in a maybe a, the farmer's machine shed. Others might sit outside. They get a little more weathered that way. But, so imagine this combine now, right? You've seen combines on the fields, right? And then you've seen trucks and picking up the grain or whatever it is uh, that, they're, that they're making, right? But imagine the combine stayed in the machine shed. Would the harvest come in on its own? you're like, is this a trick question? (laughs) No trick questions here. No, the harvest wouldn't come in. In fact, I think it was three years ago, we had a really, really wet year, at least in Drew, it was wet. And uh, when I went hunting, still all the corn and the stalks was still on the field. Because it was so wet, the combines couldn't get on the field. My father-in-law actually couldn't couldn't combine his own fields. And guess what? The the stalks and the corn stayed on the field until the fields were dry enough or hard enough for him to be able to go on there and harvest it. You tracking with me? So this sounds a lot like this. Matthew 9. Look at this. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. There's not enough laborers in the fields. <laughs> in the fields. Therefore, pray to the Lord earnestly, the Lord of the harvest, to send up more laborers into the fields. So I want you to think of the church this way. Now, if we have that, the, the, the church as the combine. Now imagine the church as a combine. Imagine us. Remember the church is people. So imagine us as combines using more modern language here. Maybe if Jesus said the same verse now, he would say, send up more combines. Pray to the Lord earnestly to send up more combines into the fields, right? But imagine us as combines sitting in a machine shed, waiting for the harvest to be brought in. Do you see the problem with that? Now, I know the picture isn't perfect because some people do find their way in here. The Spirit leads them. They're looking for truth and they do find their way here. But if our primary way of growing is just having a building opening open and hoping people just wander in, we're never going to see a great harvest come in for the kingdom. We're never going to see a great harvest. Lord, even right now, we just pray right now, we recognize that we are laborers. We are your laborers. We're called by your name. Lord, in modern terms, we are your combines. And Lord, we recognize we have stayed in those machine sheds waiting for the harvest to come in. And we know that the first step in changing this is for us to have a mindset shift. So Lord, we're asking that you would change this in us because we've known a certain way for so long, it's hard to just think differently and respond differently. But Lord, we're inviting you into our heart and into our mind to change the way we think about church, to, th- to change the way we think about how your great command and great commission will be fulfilled. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So mission of the church, mindset shift, right? To fulfill the great commission and great command, get the combines in the field. Amen? Let's try that again. For the great commission and great command to be fulfilled, we got to what? Get the combines in the field. Amen? Amen. Hope you joined us at home, too. <laughs> oh, we like that funnier. fun So the mindset shift is moving from primarily a come-therefore model to a go-therefore model. That's the big mindset shift I think we have to take. Now, before we go any further, am I saying then that the come-therefore model is bad? No, absolutely not. It's not bad at all, and we, should ha- <laughs> we want our ecclesia to be open to people coming in when that happens. I'm just saying it's incomplete. It doesn't doesn't embody the full vision that Jesus had when he commissioned the church. It's just a piece of it. So I'm not saying we leave one for the other. We forget the gathering and we just go to the scattering. No, I'm not saying that we need to gather church. I'm just saying we can't limit our church experience to when we gather for 5% of the week. We have to embrace the idea that the church's mission is not just the church's mission, the gathered church, but it's our mission as members of the body of Christ. It's our mission. All right, so the gathered church, we need the gathered church, we need the, the ecclesia, the come together, we need it. And yes, it should be also for unbelievers, yeah, totally, but we need it, the believers need it. We need the support and companionship of other believers, especially in the days that are ahead. When more opposition awaits for us, we'll see if that happens or or what that looks like. But we're going to need each other. We're going to need each other. Hebrews 10, 19 to 25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, not by our works, but by the blood of Jesus, his righteousness, by the new and life-giving way that he opened, us, uh, opened up for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. Wow, are you like, sometimes the words in here when you think about it, if this is true, and I believe it is, think of the ramifications of this, the God that we serve, the love that he pours on us, With hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in your waters, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is what? Faithful. He is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So two relationships that are highlighted in here uh, is our relationship with God. He's challenging us to come forward to Jesus, the head, right? He is called the head of the body of Christ. He's saying, come forward now boldly into my presence. And then he also directly then ties it in with also the ecclesia the gathering together as we gather together and seek his face the body all the members of the body come together under the head Jesus Christ and we grow closer in our relationship with God but you'll also look at some of the other benefits of our gathering together encouraging one another stirring each other on to good works teaching learning being discipled These are all very important things. Stirring each other on. I said that already to good works. Supporting each other. What about accountability? There's accountability, absolutely. Prayer, worshiping together, serving each other, bearing each other's burdens like Galatians 6 says. This is how we do that. When the body gathers together, we're able to do all of these things with and for each other as we grow closer to Jesus. And that's a very important thing. This is a precious gift that we've been given by God, is the body of Christ and the, and the fellowship that we get out of there. And I recognize these last two years have been, uh, been very difficult because of the isolation that many have felt. Right? Not just the restrictions and the changing freedoms, but one of the biggest things that has been difficult for many has been the isolation. Right? Not being able to see each other, not being able to hug each other, not being able to, to, to fellowship together. And it's been challenging, and I get that, and it's been difficult. And we know, I, I, I'm still dreading a little bit, but I'm still wondering, you know, what are going to, what's going to be the ramifications of this, you know, in two years from now or three years from now? And, and we don't know, and I'm not arguing for or against. It's not about that. I'm just actually asking the question, what will be uh, the ramifications of some of this uh, later on? It's going to be difficult. And I know many of you, many of us, the church itself has had to make many adjustments along the, uh, along the way these past two years, right? We've gone from being fully open to being not open to being partially open to being you know, not open to being open with masks, to being open without masks, with, with restrictions, to being not open to being open with masks and restrictions. <laughs> Whew! <laughs> Take a breath. <laughs> right? And it's like, you know, I've used that analogy. It's like we've been playing the game of Monopoly, but every time you go past go, the, the, the rules change. <laughs> right? And then you're left with trying to figure out which rules are we on again. I actually kind of forget. Then you get a little bit further. It's been difficult and challenging. I get that. But it's important, I think it's really important to say, we really need to actually still experience that gathering. We need the gathering, and we need to be creative. You know, even within, like I know there's been different, you know, feelings on whether it's, well, I, can't, I just can't do Zoom. And I'll speak to that, because I'm actually not, don't, don't ever hear me advocating that we should switch all of our relationships to digital ones, and I never have to leave my house, we could do everything from our homes. No. I like real flesh-and-blood people. I love hugging you guys and shaking your hands and seeing you face to face and it's a wonderful thing. But you know what? I will say this, sometimes though, because we've experienced such a joy in that, we think that if I can't have it that way, then I, don't, I won't do any of it. And I wanna just tell you that's a dangerous way of thinking. Because let's go back to the list here of the benefits of the ecclesia. Teaching, learning, being discipled, encouraging each other, stirring each other on, supporting each other, accountability, prayer, worship serving each other, that one might be hard, and bearing each other's burdens. You know what I thought, I thought, what was that? A list of 10 things I just said? A dozen things I should have counted. Only one of those would be difficult on Zoom. I, I'm, don't, again, don't hear me advocating that when all this is done, I'm staying on Zoom. No way. I'm just saying we need each other, whether it's Zoom or in person. And who knows what's coming after COVID or who knows what ends up happening with this? We don't know. One thing the last two years has taught us is that there is nothing sure in this world. The only thing I have left that's sure is Jesus. That, he hasn't changed. So, but with that, I would just say the challenge of not neglecting to meet together. If you are isolating, we need each other. Okay, so anyhow, back onto this. I have four strategies for the gathered church, for the ecclesia. First three, strategies for engaging. All right, we have weekend services. That is one way, absolutely yes. And I know we're restricted to 250 times two. Uh, we are right now, and that is, that is what it is. So that is strategy number one. All of us here this morning that are inside the building are experiencing, I think, some of the benefits of the Ecclesia. Even the encouragement, even, you know, I got to talk to some of you before the services, and I will after the services, and we talk to each other, and, you know, we get to worship together and the encouragement that you feel from that. We've experienced, we're learning together. We're seeking the Lord together. So that's one way, absolutely Yes. Number two, invite a family or friend into your home to watch the service online. I already know of of multiple families in our church that have been doing this, uh, um, and I want to encourage you to consider doing the same thing. We can do that. We actually don't know how long we have the buildings left. And what if we even have it forever? But just to change, you know, sometimes we get so stuck in a rut in the sense of what this is the way it's always been, and so if it's not this, it's nothing. And I'll just say that the restrictions actually allow us to have another family over. Sometimes we're, we're experiencing isolation that need not be um, because we're just choosing to, to stay there until everything goes back to normal. And I'm, I'm saying, let's be creative as a church. Let's be creative as a church and look for a way to still be together, to encourage each other, to pray for each other, to worship together, to grow together. And so that's something you can do. I know of uh, different families that do it different ways. Uh, I had one, one guy tell me what they do is they invite a family over, and so they watch the service, and then they will ask questions like, you know, afterwards, what did you learn, and that kind of stuff, and they'll pray for each other. And then they eat a meal together. And I was thinking, shoot, if I wasn't preaching, I, I think I want to uh, go and be a part of that next week. You should invite me. Sounds awesome. Uh, others with families, you know, they'll get a couple of families together and they set up two TVs. One of the TVs, they're watching KCO. Kids are watching KCO, Kids Church Online, if you don't know what the cool slang is. It's pretty cool, eh? Anyways, but one, one TV is for the kids, they're watching KCO, and then the other TV's for the adults. And I know of many uh, who have said that one of the benefits of, of being at home, and I'm not saying we want to stay there, no, but while we're in this spot, for whatever time we have left, let's be creative and be the church regardless. Let's not stand before Jesus one day and say, well, those restrictions kept us from being the church. Let's just be the church. But anyhow, you know, you can pause things and, and answer questions for your teenage kids or for everyone there. Hey, that, you know what that makes me think of? Or, you know, what about this? And, and you can have that benefit there. So anyhow, moving on. That's another one you can do. Uh, number three, small groups. Uh, join a small group for godly fellowship. Uh, small groups. You know, in Acts 2, they did both. They would go to the temple. They were going to the temple all the time and they were meeting in homes. They were meeting in homes. They were breaking bread together. They were praying together, worshiping together. They shared everything in common with each other. They were serving each other and they went to the temple together. So they did both. That kind of idea of going to a place and then they were also meeting in their homes. We can do the same thing. Uh, And and we're still allowed and the restrictions still allow for, for a lot of this stuff to happen, right? Even with a bit of modification, they still allow for it to happen. And so if you're not in a small group, you might be wondering, how do you even start one? Well, what is a small group? It's a group of people. I'd say two or three is what the Bible defines as a group. Well, as soon as you've got two or three people, or more if you want, together that are going to what? Get into the Word together, pray together, serve each other, and spur, stir each other on or spur each other on to good works. You've got a small group. We also have lots of materials to help you out if you're needing help getting started. We'll give lots of good uh, discipleship materials. We have The Way if you're really, you know, if you're new and looking or if you're just wanting to grow in discipleship or get trained in how to disciple others. There is lots of really good discipleship material that's out there. um, And we'd love to help you with that. And lastly, here's a challenge to all of us. Phone, Zoom, drop by and check in on people that you know are feeling lonely. You know that putting someone in isolation is one of the worst tortures that they can do to a person? They, they actually do that to torture people. They put them in isolation by themselves for extended periods of time. And people lose their minds. So if you know someone that's isolated and alone and struggling, instead of you know, getting upset about it, well, we should be upset about it, but let that upset, that, that righteous indignation, spur us on to go and be the answer to that loneliness and let us be the hands and feet of Jesus. And this one works for the Ecclesia and, and the scattered church, gathered and scattered, this one. Right? Look for people that need, that need a touch and call them. Text them if that's your language and that they, or that's their language that they understand. Some people don't like it when you drop by anymore. That's fine. But look for ways to encourage each other and stir each other on to good works. And then that, then we're doing what the, the Bible asks us to do. All right. The gathering of the church is important for training up believers for growth, togetherness, encouragement. We need each other. I need you. You need me. We need each other. Could you actually turn to someone next to you and say, I need you? No one said it to me. Oh, Bev, I need you. <laughs> Thank you. I'm like, oh, I feel alone. See, that didn't feel good. <laughs> I need you too. All right. Now, that's the gathered church. Now let's talk scattered church. We need to engage as the scattered church and go there for We just have to do it. And you might say, yeah, but it's overwhelming. I don't know where to start. You know what the greatest place to start is? when you're moving in a new direction, one step. Just take a step, right? I mean, the best way for me, if I'm going to go to Tobermory, which is my favorite holiday spot, is to get in the vehicle and start driving there. You know what? No matter when I get into the vehicle, it's going to take, you know, it's 20 hours-ish of driving, and it's going to take two days to get there. So we always stop in between. You know, usually, we have tried not stopping. You should see me at the end of that. It's not a good thing. Anyways, but... To get there, though, there's no way of fast-tracking getting there. If that's the destination, the only way to get there is to get in the vehicle, get packed up, and start moving in that direction. Doesn't that make sense? Same here. Go there for. We just got to start doing it. Great command, great commission, and we'll talk a bit about that. And we will expand this a lot more as as this whole year progresses because this is a huge part of our church-wide prayer request. All right. The battleship is being sent out. Right? A cruise ship is something you come there for. You're coming. You, you get entertained. You get served. It's lovely. You know, you define it by how, how, how good of a time you had, right? Did I have a good time? Did I enjoy myself? And that's not, I'm not saying those things are all bad. I'm just saying if that's the model of the church, it's not going to be very effective. But a battleship isn't just made to sit around or go from port to port or be in fancy spots. Battleships get sent out into stormy seas. They get sent out to face enemies. They do. And that is the picture of the church that we have been using. And so that's where I want to start now. And now we have our sheep in the midst of wolves. Behold, Matthew 10, 16, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. And the reason why I, I, and that's why I wanted the the message title to be this as well, because as we transition from a cruise to a battleship, I don't want us thinking that we got to become wolves. We don't. We have to become sheep. The best sheep that just listen to the shepherd and go wherever he tells us to go. That's the picture of the battleship. Now imagine a battleship with a big sheep head on. No, don't imagine that. That's weird. Well, I'm now I'm imagining it. <laughs> it's humorous. All right. It's coffee break time. I love you guys. Thanks for bearing with me. <laughs> All right sending out a sheep in the midst of wolves. You know, only God, only a sovereign God that was all-powerful would make his strategy for a lost world to send sheep out into the midst of wolves. Amen? Like, what kind of battle strategy is that? I mean, have you ever thought about what happens? I'm sure there's a nature video on this, but maybe Google, don't Google search this later, but now I'm kind of tempted. Google search sheep, you know, with a wolf. And what's going to happen is you'll see the sheep, the poor lamb, is going to get eaten by the wolf. They die. And yet, isn't that what the Lamb of God did for us? Didn't he walk out into the midst of wolves? He allowed his life to be laid down. I think that's an incredible thought. So this charge to to be sent out as sheep in the midst of wolves comes right after. We're talking like, I I should have counted, but like five, six verses after the Matthew 9 charge where Jesus is praying for laborers to be sent out into the harvest. So first he's talking about the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out more laborers, right? And then right here, now he's saying, now pray, guys, pray. Now he looks at them and says, now behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. He changes his language. He talks harvest first, and then he changes his language to sheep in the midst of wolves. He was preparing them for something. And look at the sobering verses that come next. And I've just only highlighted a few of them. If you want to go read Matthew 10, 16 to 42 for yourself, I I always recommend you do that. Uh, And then you should include the Matthew 9, 37 as well, because it gives you the full context of what the conversation was. But I'll just read a bit here. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher, And the servant like his master, if they called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. A person's enemies will be those of his own household. And whoever loves mother or father more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life in this world will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And here we have some very sobering words that we often just want to skip over. But he's challenging the heart, and he's challenging the heart that we need to have, and he's preparing us for what's ahead. For times when maybe our faith won't be as popular as it has been before. And he's saying, I don't want you running. <laughs> I'm sending you out. There are lost people that need to know his name. And his plan for them is you and me. It's us, the church, to go for and make disciples of those nations. And he's sending us out as sheep in the midst of wolves. And, you know, I, I've, I've thought about this. It's hard for us in the West because we don't want to, especially in the West, in Canada, Canada especially, and I talked about this at the Sunrise Summit, we really are the nicest people on the earth. And I'm not claiming that myself, but I've heard that in different places that we've traveled. But it's kind of a known thing. Canadians are the only ones on the planet that apologize when someone else bumps into them. Right? Like you come up here and push me, and I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> You're like, right? Anywhere else in the world, they're like, why did you apologize? <laughs> um, but, anyways, and I'm not saying there's not nice people everywhere, but that's just our mentality. And I'm not even criticizing it. I think it's wonderful to be in Canada, it's been wonderful being Canadian. I love it that we're nice. We should want to be nice. It's only a problem when niceness causes us to pull back in fear, when we're so afraid of offending a person that we won't say the truth to them. That's people-pleasing, and we want to please the Lord first. You know, years ago, my dad gave me a—he's um, uh, only a very few times. After he—my he, parents both, they, once they let us go, they let us go. And they have always been really good at not giving us unsolicited advice. And there's been a benefit to that, of them waiting for us to ask them, and that has been when I ask and they give advice, I listen. But there's been two times when my dad's not done that, where he's given me unsolicited advice. But because he didn't do it by pattern, he had my attention both times. And the one time, it doesn't matter what all the circumstances were, but there was lots of turmoil going on in my life at that time. And he had just said, I I wouldn't normally say something, but I'm your dad and I'm also your friend. And what kind of friend would I be if I walked by your house and I saw it was on fire and I didn't come in to warn you, like I said, he's only done this twice since he let me go, and I remember it. And you can, you know, I remember it because I'm telling you about it. And so that's an important thing for us to understand: that if we see people are perishing, if we see, um, if we see people are being damaged, it's important for us to stand up uh, for what is true, but to do so in love. And that's part of our church-wide prayer request. So this is very important. So now we're going to look at three key points as we transition to this, right? Because now we're talking about the scattered church, the go-therefore model. The go-therefore model is sheep being sent out in the midst of wolves. The battleship now we're talking about is sheep. So what (laughs) what are our weapons? Well, we'll look at that in a second, but the first is, let's look at three key points here. Oh, I missed that, that's fine. Number one thing to remember, our enemy is not what? People our enemy is not people. I know pe- you might say, yeah, but people are, are the ones that hurt me. People are the ones that might mistreat me. Your enemy is not people. Your enemy is not people. Rather, it's the devil himself. Peter, first, uh, Peter says in 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Now, will he deceive people and will he use people? Yeah, human history and our own personal experience will tell us the answer to that is yes, and Scripture will affirm that. But we have to remember that those people aren't the enemy. Those people are hurt. Those people are just like us, sinners in the need of saving. We're no different. So that's that's the important first point: is our enemy is not people. Second, we're sheep in the midst of wolves. We don't fight with force; we fight with love. I can't stress this enough. Right? We're not going out there and battling people by hitting them on the head with our Bibles or by forcing them or coercing them to believe what we believe. That doesn't work. You know, I actually found that uh, you know, from working at Steinbeck Dodge before and then learning, uh, learning sales tactics there, which were very beneficial. But then being a follower of Jesus, um, the first probably, I don't know, dozen or so people that I led to the Lord. I used a lot of those same tactics. I was actually very, like I thought, well, it's so amazing that I can just take these and use them here and I can kind of sell them into it. You know that out of the first dozen or so people that I sold Christianity to, only one of them is still following the Lord? I remember one of the gentlemen that I sold Christianity to and then I was picking him up to go to to church every week. I learned later that uh, he was only doing that because he didn't know how to say no to me because he's Canadian and nice. So then the one time he didn't answer his phone and then I went there and his door was unlocked. So I just walked in and went and got him out of his bedroom. And then the next week, he didn't answer his phone and I went to his house and the door was locked. <laughs> wow. Anyways, point is, that's not, that's not how we do it. Right? So we have to learn to actually sheep in the midst of the wolves. Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpent, innocent as doves. So we're gonna need to actually need we need the Spirit's wisdom in this as well. We're gonna need him to empower us, yes. We're gonna also need to love people absolutely. Yes, we'll talk about the weapons in just a moment. But we're gonna need to use and exercise a lot of wisdom and not try to force our beliefs on people. We can't do that. Right? So number three is what are the weapons? What are the big guns that we've been given on this battleship? And I've, I've said here, these are our main. I'd say these are prime, our primary weapons. I, I don't know. I would say primary is better than main uh, because there's definitely more weapons than this and the spirit gives lots of different gifts and that kind of thing that we find uh, lists of in both Ephesians and you know, in, in, in Corinthians as well. Okay? But besides that, love, truth, and prayer. If I'm gonna simplify it. These are the weapons of our warfare. Love, truth, and Prayer. Love, truth, and prayer. So when we're going out as a battleship, what are we trying to do? We're trying to love people so that we can lead them to truth. This is great command and great commission. We're trying to love people so we can lead them to truth. And then prayer, absolutely, yes. Prayer is a critical piece. But, and I'll get into that in just a moment. So the first two are summed up in what I call the GC squared. <laughs> That's what I always use because I like giving everything a, a bit of a nickname. But uh, GC squared is just uh, great command and great commission. That is what that is, love and truth. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to go and love people so that we can lead them to truth. That is what we're doing. We're looking for opportunities to do that. And we can do this all the time, but the best thing if you're looking for where do I start is, I'll tell you, give margin for it in your life. And then be willing to ask questions. Uh, Just the other day, I was driving (laughs) when it was minus 1,000 here. That's maybe not totally accurate, but it was close, right? (laughs) Pretty sure it was close. So it was way too cold to be outside. Like, everything's creaking, and, ah, I I am not built for that. I don't think anybody is. I'm driving, and I'm on my way. I'm going to go pick up my kids, and uh, not—I did end up picking my kids. But anyways, I was on my way home to pick up my kids, and I see this guy. His truck just broke down, and he's starting to walk. And I'm like, Ah! right away is pull around so I can go and follow him, roll down my window, and I'm like, that's your truck. Please get inside. It's way too cold for you to be walking. And so he gets into my, my van, my, my, his truck, my van, gets into my van, and I asked him where he wants to go, and I drove him to, uh, to a gas station so he can go get help. Anyways, we have a great conversation on the way there. Did I lead him to the Lord? No, I didn't. Not every time I go and love somebody, it leads to a salvation, nor do I feel that pressure of it too either. I look for opportunities, and if the opportunity presents itself, then great. If it doesn't, great. I'm still called to love people, right? So now we go there and drop off, and he's getting onto the van, and then he pokes back in, and he says, hey, just so you know, I'm going to pay this forward. And I thought, yes, great command, yeah, and it's going to spread, right? And I love that. I love that. But, uh, but that's another example. Standing in a line at, uh, at a store and talking to a guy there just kind of, sparking up casual conversation, and I recognize my personality might have an easier time with the casual conversation than yours. I totally get that. So what are your gifts and abilities and how you, maybe it's you serve somebody. Whatever it is, just look for, give yourself margin to go and love people so that you can lead them to the truth. That's all we're talking about. So you say, hi, how are you doing? And he looks, oh, not that great. So then you ask, why? If he says, nah, it doesn't really kind of, if he sloughs it off, then what do you do? Leave it at that. This guy offered more information. Ha. Huh. So what's that? A sign of openness. So what did I do? Can I pray for you? Yeah, actually, that'd be wonderful. So I prayed for him. I prayed for him right there. And then afterwards he said, you know, maybe uh, we exchange information, but maybe maybe we should meet and I want to talk to you some more. Okay. Hasn't turned into anything. My whole point is sometimes you overcomplicate and I don't have time for all these people in my life. I don't have time. Just give margin. We have time to be the people of God. God has made sure of that. All right, so obviously it doesn't always go that good. You <laughs> have lots of horror stories too. Um, because we are sheep in the midst of wolves. And there are times when people will look at our best efforts and they will twist our words. And that has happened to me, That's has happened to us here at the church. Well, they will twist our words and they'll make accusations against us to try to bring us down to say that we're bigots or to say that we're against people. But we're not. And in those times, we're going to have to practice being sheep in the midst of wolves. And our biggest weapon there will be love. And when we love, we will forgive big. So when people mistreat us or they take our best intentions and turn them around in us, then we are going to forgive. We'll be the best at forgiving and showing grace and mercy. We won't hold on to it. And then we'll be sensitive to the Spirit. Right, Because sometimes he'll want us to disengage a conversation or leave or not say something, but many times he'll want us to say it. We'll have to learn to be very sensitive. But I want to, move to, um, I want to move to prayer. But before that, I just want to ask one question. Do people know what you are for? Or do they just know what you're against? Just think about your regular conversations with people. Think about your social media. Ooh do people know what you're for? And then if they do, what would they say you're for? Or do they just know what you're against? That's really important for us. If we're going to engage in the Great Commission and the Great Command, people need to know what we're for. They need to know what we're for, and if they truly know what we're for, they're going to know who we serve. They may not accept him, but that's the path to give them an option to see it. All right, I'll close this up now. Lastly, I want to talk about his prayer and then we'll be done for today. Um, prayer, absolutely important. So prayer, if we're going to do the Great Commission and Great Command, it has to be built on a foundation of prayer. This is the first and most critical step. We should understand this for anything in our lives. There's probably a reason that if you follow Jesus's life, and I did so again this last uh, week, I was looking at it. He was praying all the time, all the time he would escape to pray. In the morning, when he's ministering, before, after, during, in the evening. Why was he doing that? Why do we have verses that say pray without ceasing? I know that you might say, but I can't do that. I know. But the idea is, have prayer be a part of your regular life, like breathing. Why? Because prayer may not be everything, but it has to, you know, everything should come out of prayer. Prayer is that foundation for every move of God, whether in our own lives or or corporately or nationally, you look at any move of God and you're going to find men and women who prayed at the base of it. And so it's a critical thing that we need to understand. And, you know, using the combine analogy, so where would prayer fit on the combine? You know, I had to work at this because these analogies are never perfect. But if we are the combine, I think prayer is like us connecting to the gas pump. I was going to say the fuel, but it isn't. The Spirit's the fuel. But we don't even access the fuel unless we actually allow us to access the the, the, the fuel pump. That's where prayer would fit in. It allows us to access the power source so that we can go out and do the works that God has assigned to us. And obviously, if you're wondering, who's driving this thing? I'd say, Jesus. I've really thought a lot about this during the week. (laughs) I don't know. If I was an artist, I would have drawn it. But that would have been terrible would have led to more questions than answers. So um, what does prayer do? Prayer, I, just very, very fast. Here. This could be a message on its own, and maybe it will be at the end of the month. We'll see. Resist temptation. This is all of the things that, that accessing the, the, the fuel pump to the source, the power source, enables us to do. Resist temptation, know God, grow our character, change our hearts, strength to do God's will, wisdom in ha- how to navigate, knowledge of what to do, provision, moving mountains. Wow. Miracles makes us more like Jesus. He is always interceding for us, and that's really what I want to highlight here. We're supposed to do whatever he's doing. Scripture is very clear that he is interceding. Think about this. Scripture says he intercedes for the saints. Jesus is interceding for you and for me. You ever thought about that? Every time you go into prayer, you are joining with him. Literally, not just figuratively literally, you are joining with him in prayer. <laughs> it's an incredible thought. So, this is the heart behind all of the church-wide prayer requests. This is the heart behind it, right? Is prayer. We want to start it all with prayer and then line up our lives and our church and moving in the direction that God has, has called us to, both as a church and as the people of God. That is the heart. And so, I want to end by taking a look at our church-wide prayer requests. To be the last thing we look at. And I know we've already looked at them, or many of you have. And if you've been to the prayer summits, um, you will have uh, seen these there as well. Are they coming up? Can you see them? No. They'll be up right away. They'll figure that out. It's all good. Uh, the, the first one. So you'll notice there's verses or passages uh, beside each one. And those verses and passages, I would encourage you to memorize. So I've already been working on them. Technically, it's, I'm cheating because I already had three of them memorized. I only had to memorize 1 Peter 3.15. So, <laughs> cheat code. Game genie just happened over here. Any, <laughs> that's maybe a reference that not all of you understand. But uh, some of you will, nerds. Um, but back to this. So those passages, I would encourage you to get those inside your heart because it's going to remind you again, our beliefs, uh, our beliefs instruct behavior. So we want to keep reminding ourselves of what he's calling us to do. So we have the great command. We have the great commission. You'll see stuff lining up after it. Uh, and then we also have word and truth. And this one's very important to know the gospel, grow in discernment, speak the truth in love. First Peter 3.15 says to be ready to make a defense to anyone who asks us for the hope that is in us. Yet, in gentleness and respect. And remember, sheep in the midst of the wolves. We're not going out there with swords slashing at people. No, not at all. We're being ready to make a defense. We're being ready to speak truth, but with, always with gentleness and respect, even if it's not returned in kind. Gentleness and respect. So that's important for us to, to know. Persecuted church. We're praying for them. Second uh, Corinthians four seven to ten. Uh, that's the one we you know. We were afflicted in every way, uh, but not crushed. Right. That whole that whole piece there. Jars of we have this treasure in jars of clay. You ever feel like a jar of clay, like a broken jar of clay? I feel like that often. And God reminds me that is to show that the surpassing glory belongs to him and not to me, not to us. So that's, that's that one there. And you'll see religious freedom, freedom of speech, spiritual fortitude and wisdom. Here, by the way, we're not just praying for ourselves. We don't see ourselves as the persecuted church. Uh, but we are praying for our, the persecuted brothers and sisters around the world. And might that come our way? Sure, it might. Um, and, and we, you know, include it on their religious freedom. We're still praying for religious freedom for here. We want the freedom to practice our faith. Amen. I want the freedom of choice and I want the freedom of belief and the freedom of speech to be able to say what I believe. I, I want that. And I want that for others too, not just for us. I want that for other beliefs, even the ones that disagree with us. I want freedom for everyone. And I think you all agree. And then lastly, we we're also praying uh, for church renewal for the directors of, uh, for India and the Chinese people worldwide and that, that many global disciple makers would be raised up. So we actually have our, our mission is very much the same, it's just we have a local church. So we're talking about it in the local sense, where Church Renewal is called to the global church, right? Or to the scattered, like they're going out there to other churches. Um, so our part, though, we can continue to pray for them and support them uh, as much as we can, right, obviously. And uh, that's what they're doing. But it's awesome that we're all really doing the same type of work. Isn't it? We are. We're just doing it here in Steinbeck in our local region, and they're doing it also here, and then in other areas of the world, all over Canada and different countries, which is absolutely amazing. So, Everything starts with prayer. So, would you join me in praying? We're going to end this off by praying in unison uh, for these five prayer requests. We do this often at our prayer summit. So, if you come there, you're used to doing that. And if you don't come to those, that's that's fine. I get it. It Doesn't always work. But I'd invite you to come to our next one at the end of the month. Um, but for now, let's uh, pray for these. And if you're comfortable praying out loud, I would encourage you to do so. And if you're not, that's okay. You can join inside inside your heart. That's totally fine. And if you're wondering what do I pray, well. If you're comfortable, you know, if you are a prayer warrior already, you just pray as the Spirit leads. And if you're not, then you just ask Jesus. Jesus, I ask that you would help our church grow in the great command. In loving God, in loving people, in hospitality, generosity, serving, and empathy. Then you go to the next one. It can be that simple. That's how we learn. We learn by taking the next step forward. Right? So you ready to pray together, church? Let's pray. In three, two, one. Lord, I just lift up our church to you right now. We have many requests. These requests are very dear to our hearts. But Lord, we also have our own personal requests. And so, Lord, we recognize that you are calling us to go, therefore, and make disciples of the nations, to go and be a beacon of light by loving people, by laying down our lives for them the way you did for us. And Lord, we just ask today that you would fill us with your spirit because we can't do that on our own. Lord, would you fill us with your spirit so that when people revile us or when they turn against us, Lord, that we would have the strength by your spirit to respond with love and forgiveness and compassion. Lord, that you would teach us to stand for truth, but we would do so with gentleness and respect. Lord, we just pray that you would be near to us. I pray in the months and days and years ahead, both for us and the universal body that's everywhere else, Lord, that you would really in the days ahead for this for the, for the global Christian, for us, that you would teach us to hold fast to you, that we would have experiences with you. Lord, we need you to release your spirit in our midst, that we would know you, the one true God. But then Lord, we ask that you would send your spirit out into our churches, that we would see you moving in power, setting the captives free and giving, the, giving sight to the blind. Lord, we pray that you would reach out through, through whether we're meeting through digital means or whether we're meeting in, per, in person, and that you would encourage us as believers, that you would encourage us with your love, that you would encourage us to stand firm and to hold fast to what is true. We ask all of this in Jesus' name, amen.